Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shelly. Thanks for joining us on the very first episode of the Red Mom, Blue Mom podcast. Shelly and I are so happy to be your hosts. And before we kick things off with today's topic, we'd love to tell you a bit more about Red Mom, Blue Mom and a little bit more about us. Red Mom, Blue Mom is focused on conversations about political issues and current events between two moms who are on different sides of the political aisle. Caitlin has been a local leader, pioneering the importance of having productive, respectful dialogue, even when you disagree, and probably most importantly, to still be able to maintain a friendship in face of those disagreements. She and her friend Lauren produced a groundbreaking TED Talk on this topic after the 2016 election that left our country divided, and they've spoken to audiences since then about how to maintain dialogues across the political aisle. We know there are lots of folks out there who still struggle or even avoid discussing politics with their family members or friends because they know that they're going into that conversation with significant differences of opinion. But we think differences of opinion are okay. In fact, Caitlin has taught me that we need more conversations and that we should proactively seek out those opportunities to talk with someone who thinks differently than we do about an issue. Hence, this podcast was born. Red Mom, Blue Mom is also focused on providing the perspectives of women, and specifically to moms, on issues that are important to us. Moms have such an incredibly important role, and yet it feels like sometimes our voices weren't necessarily being reflected in the traditional political talking heads that you see on cable news. Now, we're certainly not implying that Shelley and I are representative of all moms, or all conservatives or liberals, but we are hopeful that this podcast will help facilitate and maybe even inspire other women to have conversations, to learn from each other when we have differences of opinion, and to ensure that our voices are heard on the important issues happening in our country today. We are so excited to have you join us in our weekly discussion. Just a few more little housekeeping things before we move on. Number one, most of what we'll talk about each week is oriented towards politics and current events, and we are going to do our very best to make it informative and entertaining and not boring. But we're moms, so I'm sure that there will be some other topics that pop up along the way, especially about motherhood and parenting, and we never mean to imply that our approaches are the right ones, because we really don't know what we're doing. Number two, many of the issues we're going to discuss are probably controversial or provocative, and things that you'll have strong opinions about. Now, you may not always agree with both of us, or sometimes either of us, but our hope is that you leave each episode having heard a perspective that perhaps you hadn't heard before and that you're inspired to have more conversation with others with whom you may not agree. Number three, we are not claiming to be experts on any of the topics we're discussing. We will do our best to be as informed and accurate as possible, and you may hear us share sources with you throughout our discussion to help support our respective points of view. We will also share our reference material, things like um, articles to links or video clips, links to articles or video clips on our website for each episode at redmombluemom.com. We can't possibly address all of the facts on any given topic, so please be forgiving if you think that we missed an important point. And the last piece, number four, please know that we are not trying to debate each other or even persuade each other to change their thinking. Neither of us is trying to win an argument, and we are focused primarily on learning from each other and challenging ourselves to hear a different point of view. Now let's do some quick introductions and then we'll jump right in with today's topic. Shelly, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Caitlin. I'm the blue mom in our duo. Uh, politically, I'm liberal and progressive with a few fiscal policy opinions that could be viewed as very conservative. Um, I'm registered as an unaffiliated, 
Uh, I don't really fit into either political party, including the Democratic Party. But if that makes you blue listeners worry whether I'm left enough for your taste, just ask Caitlin. I'm about as left as they come. I modified her topics to make them more LGBTQ inclusive, and I view global warming as an urgent, pressing emergency. I'm worried about racism and gun control, and I think Trump is the worst person to ever hold the office of president of the United States. I grew up in a sort of low-income family in Colorado, and um, I've kind of been on my own my whole life, so I'm very independent. I am a practicing attorney at a mid-sized local law firm in the area of wills, trusts, and estates, as well as litigation. I've traveled to several different countries, and while attending law school in Washington, D.C., I received a master's degree in international affairs. Prior to that, a bachelor's degree in political science. I loved politics then, but I fell out of having political conversations when I sort of grew up and learned manners and became even less likely to discuss politics, especially with conservatives, during the Trump administration. Thankfully, my friend Caitlin encouraged me to find my political voice again as she seeks my opinions, even knowing that we'll disagree. Um, I also love to read fiction and I enjoy running. And finally, I'm a single mom of an 11-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl who are my everything, my joys, my loves, my treasures, and it's my greatest honor to be their mom. Caitlin? Great. Okay, as you've probably figured out, I am the red mom in our duo. Uh, Politically, I am conservative with occasional libertarian leanings. I typically vote Republican in every election, and yes, I voted for Trump in 2016. I am a strong supporter of military veterans, including regularly volunteering with a great organization called Higher Heroes. I'm also a strong supporter of the Second Amendment and gun rights, and I am a member of the NRA. I'm also a wife and a mom. I have two boys, ages 12 and 10. Most of my career has been spent working for large companies. Um, I've held leadership roles in marketing and product management, but I recently decided to leave corporate America last fall in 2018 so that I could spend more time with my family and have more flexibility in the work that I'm doing, including developing this podcast. I grew up in Colorado. I love Colorado. I attended both high school and college here in the Denver area. I'm also a political junkie. I love listening to conservative talk radio like Rush Limbaugh, and I typically consume my news from conservative-leaning sources like Fox News or the Wall Street Journal. Beyond politics, I love to travel internationally. I've been lucky to have a career that has allowed me to travel around the world, and my family had the opportunity to live in Europe a few years recently while I was working for Amazon. Finally, I am a huge fan of Anything Real Housewives, uh, the TV series on Bravo, and it's definitely my guilty pleasure whenever I have free time. All right, let's move into our first topic. So as Shelly and I were kind of thinking where to start with our podcast, um, of course, there is a laundry list of topics and issues that are happening all of the time. There's no shortage of content. But what we decided to start with is this concept and the topic of toxic masculinity. So we'll just start with something small, not controversial (laughs) at all. So toxic masculinity, I think, is really interesting because I feel like it has just kind of entered our social conversation fairly recently. And I suppose that we could talk about um, maybe it since Trump was elected, obviously a very divisive election and people have very strong feelings about him as a person and as a man. 
Um, it feels like before that there wasn't really a lot of conversation about toxic masculinity. And I think as we looked back on last year, um, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein issue and some of the allegations that came out against him, the start of the hashtag me too movement, but even since then, like even in the Brett Kavanaugh trials or or hearing rather, um, I think there was some discussion around toxic masculinity and and how he grew up in, um, elite, uh, private schools and, and what that environment was like. And then most recently in January of this year of 2019, two things happened that I think continued to keep it at the forefront of the conversation. The first was an advertisement by Gillette Razors, um, which caused quite a bit of uproar when it came out. It was a very uh, divisive ad, meaning that everybody that I read or talked to that had seen it felt very strongly about it one way or the other. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then the second piece was that the American Psychological Association, the APA, has issued some new guidelines, the first time ever, guidelines for practice with men and boys, and I'm reading verbatim um, from their summary. And so the APA has now issued some guidelines for therapists and psychologists to use when I guess, counseling men and boys and and this concept of masculinity and what that means. And um, if I can just read momentarily from their summary, it talks about that their research, and I'll quote this directly, uh, shows that traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful and that socializing boys to suppress their emotions causes damage that echoes both inwardly and outwardly. And the piece that I had issue with there was this concept that traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. And I would love to just start there, maybe, as we talk about this conversation. And for me, I have to say I'm a little skeptical. And I don't mean to diminish the research and all of the the experts in this field. But for me, I'm kind of wondering as a starting point, like, is toxic masculinity even a thing? Like, is it a real thing? Or is it just the latest talking points that are kind of designed to potentially vilify men right. and and masculine traits? So maybe we can just start there. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I think you raised some interesting points, Caitlin. It's definitely uh, a new, relatively new idea, at least in conversation. And, and the phrase is sort of new. Um uh, I agree with you that the APA's use of, you know, uh, saying that traditional masculinity uh, in a negative way might not have been the best way to phrase it. But for me, um, and I think everyone thinks something different of this phrase, the phrase tos- toxic masculinity, um, it's kind of been used more recently in the Me Too movement. And, and it means different things to different people. For me, it means limited aspects of masculinity. Uh, that might harm others, like sex without consent or aspects of masculinity that might harm the man himself, like repressing emotions, not expressing feelings, um, not, you know, thinking that you can cry. Um, I do not think the phrase grammatically is an adjective describing a noun. So I don't think it means to say that masculinity is toxic. Um, toxic. It's, hmm. it's more um, for me, uh, that a small segment of masculinity uh, maybe not be not be good in those aspects that I described. Um, so, for example, uh, if masculinity is to is to blame for um, the physical strong sexual desires sometimes of men leading to sexual relations where a woman has not consented, 
then yes, I, I think that's an aspect of masculinity that's toxic and needs to be discussed or addressed, brought to light. Um, and, and like I say, I think the Me Too movement, while not perfect, um, has had a positive effect of bringing that issue to light, the issue of consent. Um, so I think it's interesting, even your starting point, how you thought about the phrasing, right? Toxic right. masculinity and, you know, kind of the descriptive piece and the noun. I hadn't thought about it that way. And, and again, coming into this with um, certainly a conservative leaning bias. And I think if you were to read some of the comments, you know, on social media or some of the articles that were published uh, or the pundits talking about the Gillette advertisement in, in mm-hmm. particular, mm-hmm. it was very partisan, right? So it seemed like, and this is a bit of a generalization, but it seemed like if you were on the more conservative Republican side of the aisle, it was like, oh my gosh, Gillette is the latest list of companies that are trying to join this social justice progressive agenda. And, you know, how dare they lecture to us about what men should be and manliness. And then on the flip side, again, generalizing, if if you were to read comments or social media posts from folks that leaned more on the left side, progressive, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. And it's about time and Me Too movement and all these different things. And so um, I will admit that I'm looking at it from a partisan lens. And the, the piece, again, that I took kind of umbrage with was... Um, the men that I know and the, the boys that I'm trying to raise as a mom um, are good people, right? And I think you will absolutely always have bad eggs. And we've, we've talked about examples in the celebrity world and in the political world that those are the examples that come up time and time again. And, and certainly you could argue Trump himself, and I'm a Trump voter, um, Trump has definitely said and done some things that I'm kind of like, yeah, I would never want my boys or any man I know to ever speak like that about women. And so, but it, it feels like some of these things are taking it a step further. And, and again, even the APA guidelines, and I know you don't agree with this, but to come out of the gate and say traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful, that's a big statement. And I, I feel like that is really painting all men with such a broad brush that is frankly unfounded. And I thought it was interesting too. And again, I'm reading from the summary here of the APA, which you can find on our website at redmombluemom.com. Um, they talk about, the, and again, I'll read verbatim, the main thrust of the subsequent research is that traditional masculinity marked by stoicism, competitiveness, dominance, and aggression. And those were kind of the four traits that they called out. I mean, I don't know. Is competitiveness a bad thing? Is stoicism a bad thing? Dominance is not necessarily a bad thing. Aggression, contextually, may or may not be a bad thing. I just struggle with some of these traits that I think are sometimes inherently more masculine. And I'm not saying women can't be stoic or competitive or Mm -hmm. aggressive or what have you. It doesn't seem right to just say, you know what, those things are bad. Those things are psychologically harmful. That's a that's a big leap. Yeah, I, I agree, Caitlin, with you on that. Um, like I say, I feel like the, the APA could have maybe worded it differently. To, to say that the, the phrase traditional masculinity is bad is really, you know, maybe going a little too far or maybe we're misunderstanding what they mean by traditional masculinity. It's certainly, I think... Uh, okay, like I say, to address the issues, the the aspects of masculinity that result in, 
you know, a young boy feeling like he can't cry or that it's, you know, he needs to be act super tough all the time or which, which I actually think is where the guidelines were going Mm -hmm. sort of meant to be. So I think the purpose of them and the idea behind it is a good thing. Um, uh, you know, and like I say, um, addressing this, these issues where, um, maybe sometimes some aspects of masculinity might hurt others or hurt the, the, the person themselves. Um, the Gillette ad, you mentioned the Gillette ad, um, you know, I think it said things differently than I would have. So I agree with you. It was imperfect. It's just a razor ad, not a reliable source <laughs> for moral or ethical analysis. Which, but by the way, can I just add a quick aside on the Gillette ad? I read a really interesting analysis that from a kind of a marketing sciences perspective that typically in a, in a traditional heterosexual relationship or marriage or whatever, boyfriend, girlfriend situation, that often it's the woman who is buying those kind of products for the household. Right. So, and that's certainly true in my marriage, right? Like I'm the one that goes to Walmart or target Mm -hmm. and I'm the one that's picking up a package of razors for my husband. I'm not saying that's always the case, but there was an interesting comment and and theory around for women. It was designed for women. It was less designed for men. And so I thought that was really interesting. So, and I think even on the left, there were probably some women like me who, you know, I thought the ad made some mistakes. For example, I don't think you can attribute bullying to masculinity. Um, Girls, as we know, can be some of the worst bullies. Terrible bullies. Um, And similarly, I did not like that part of the ad where, it made the little boys who were res- wrestling look like that's a bad thing. Thank you. Your son, my son, they wrestle all the I time. I agree. In fact, I don't, have you seen our new punching bag? Um, you know, my son has entered a phase where he wants to punch um, Well, it's and... because of his toxic masculinity, obviously. <laughs> no, I think it's just totally normal. And, you know, we got the bag so that he would lay off his little sister a little bit. Um, but uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I think it's physically healthy for boys and girls um, to, uh, to release that kind of energy and, and, and to wrestle and, and punch and, uh, well, you know, yes, rough house, rough house. Rough. I agree. And, and I, it's funny that you said that cause that was the piece of the ad that definitely caught my eye as well was where they're at the picnic. The two little boys are on the ground and that one super woke dad comes over and he says, Hey guys, this isn't how we treat each other or whatever he says. I'm paraphrasing. And I'm thinking I wouldn't have interrupted two boys wrestling. I mean, they, I, it didn't look like it was right. dangerous, but then that leads into this whole concept, and this is the whole crux of that Gillette ad, is boys will be boys. Is that a bad thing? And again, it ties into this toxic masculinity. And I think what you just said, I agree with, right? That there are elements of, and we're both moms of boys, there are elements of boys roughhousing and maybe being a little bit more rough and tumble with each other that I think are okay. I think they're healthy. And yes, you have to, as a parent, help your boys understand guidelines and boundaries and all the, all of those things within the context of even just the, that play environment. But boys will be boys. I think there's some truth to that, right? And I don't necessarily think it's all, it's all bad. Oh, I agree. And, you know, that kind of gets us back to the nature versus nurture um, question, um, you know, is... Are, are these masculinity traits driven by biology or society? And I think that's always been the classic argument. Um, for my part, I'm not someone who believes that there's no biological difference between men and women. I, I, I think some conservatives seem to think that progressives don't want to acknowledge that men and women are different. Um, we fully acknowledge that men and women are different. Uh, so different, in fact, it's sometimes just a miracle that we come together. <laughs> but... Um, uh, 
you know, and men are, seem to be good at certain things. Women, uh, women might be good at certain things. Um, and then their bodies are different. Uh, hormones are different. That's a real chemical difference that causes all sorts of different emotions, reactions, behaviors. But when we say boys will be boys, in, in addition to the biological differences uh, between men and women, many differences are learned through society. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, the ad, um, addresses that a little bit. Um, you know, just think anecdotally, uh, some little boys, um, when they're little, like the color pink. Well, because it's a nice color until someone informs them that it's a girl color and that destroys that mm -hmm. view. I agree. Um, and some girls don't care about pink or princesses until they're surrounded by those con concepts and then they ultimately come to like them. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the gender neutral clothing styles for little kids and, um, and, and, uh, trying to get, um, you know, if you look at kids' books, they, uh, historically contain a lot of boy protagonists. Um, still today, when I go to the bookstore to find a book for my little girl, I find four fifths of the shelf of her age group mm -hmm. is full of girly books and that I don't want to buy her. Um, where the girl characters are sort of focused on pink and princesses and fixated on social school encounters, um, and uh, when my son was that age, it was much easier to find him a proper book to read with reasonable characters uh, pursuing interesting things. So all of that is nurture. You imagine all of these nurture or societal forces working on us as a whole, our whole lives from the time we're little to the time we're adults. That really helps craft notions of what men and women's roles or behaviors should be. Um, and so my view is that, you know, masculinity is both biological and societal. Um, and um, the term toxic masculinity doesn't necessarily distinguish between, you know, doesn't necessarily distinguish between nature and nurture, but it's just, I think, to simply acknowledge that there are some limited aspects associated with masculinity um, that should be viewed more critically. And, you know, like I say, one of them is um, tempering, you know, a, a strong sexual desire with making sure you get consent mm -hmm. and you know that's come out recently and and i think a lot of people um uh, you know i think uh even in the me too movement there's been a lot of men who have said um you know actually i now that i think about it you know i uh, when i was a young person with my buddies and and pursuing certain women like i like with an intent to sort of conquer them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I feel bad about that now, now that I think about that. Sure. I wasn't thinking about yeah, that person. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about that person as, as her own person. Right. And so the fact that, you know, these things are coming out, the Gillette ad and, and, and these, and, and these ideas, um, being talked about, uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it, I think it makes, um, it makes us all as parents of boys and, you know, men, um, makes us think about what aspects of masculinity uh, we can be critical of. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think there is a lot of value in driving awareness and the issues that you brought up around, you know, discussions about consent and what does that mean and, and how do we as moms and parents talk to those things, uh, excuse me, talk about those things with our boys, but also our girls, right? Like, how does that impact how we parent our kids? Um, I also agree and this is something that's always been a pet peeve of mine and I'm sure it's yours as well you know I, I hate when um, for example in a sports context right where you have a coach that has a 
you know, a, a team of young boys. And he's like, you guys are playing like girls out there, right? To kind of denigrate uh, girls or diminish girls' accomplishments to somehow make the boys feel better. Like that kind of thing drives me nuts. And I think a lot of people do that, not necessarily with bad intent, but it's been kind of a societal nurturing thing that they've grown up with that they've gotten used to. I think driving more awareness around that to prevent that type of behavior is a good thing. I just worry a little bit. And again, coming back to these APA guidelines, which I think you agree, it feels like the pendulum has swung really far the other direction, right? Like it feels like there's a a spot in the middle around consent and around how do you talk about girls and, and use the right language to make sure boys and girls feel like they have equal opportunities and and can do the same things and achieve the same dreams. I I think you can have those conversations and, and, and start to change the culture around those conversations without swinging all the way to the side of, hey, traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. Like that just feels like a step too far. And so I, I almost worry then, you know, based on these APA guidelines, and I'm not saying they're the end all be all, right? But if these are the guidelines for therapists with men, is that ultimately going to help or hurt, right? Is it, is it going to, are men going to be receptive to this, to being told that, hey, what, what inherently makes you masculine, what inherently differentiates you from a woman uh, has now been defined as bad, basically, well, in some okay. ways. But again, like, does that, does that long term, what does that mean? Well, again, it's only part of what in, is inherent versus what is learned. Right. So I think it's, you know, it's okay to, to raise this issue with boys and to, to teach them, you know, some, some of it is physical and chemical and inherent and some of it we don't realize, mm-hmm. but it's learned. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think those guidelines for psychologists to be able to, you know, address and again, to get boys talking about their feelings and to remind them that that's okay. And to, uh, you know, I think it's okay. Um, you know, let me ask you this, Caitlin, um, does, does this movement, has it affected at all how you want to parent, you know, your boys? Um, I think so. And again, in the, in the spirit of awareness and, and just being, trying to be a little bit more thoughtful mm-hmm. around what I'm teaching my two boys. And, and as you've already mentioned, this idea of consent, right? We've talked about that even off, off air, so to speak. Um, that isn't something that I probably would have spent a lot of time even thinking about as a parent and how to have that conversation, you know, even two years ago, right. certainly not five years ago now. And again, my boys are not adults. I mean, they're 12 and 10, but certainly they're becoming of the age and my older son in particular in middle school, this is, this is a topic that there's some urgency, up. right? Yeah, right. absolutely. It's coming up and, um, he's not quite there yet, but any day now is going to kick in kind of that interest in, in, in others in kind of a romantic way. And so I think, I think the discussion around how do we talk, and, and when I say we, for both my husband and me, I think it's important in our family, how do we talk to him about that? How do we talk to him about consent and what right. does that mean? And again, boundaries, and especially in the in the context of a, of a romantic or sexual situation, um, that this whole, this whole conversation around toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement and all those different, d- different things has absolutely informed that for me. And I have some ideas about how we could, you know, I mean, uh, talk to them. About 15 years ago, before I had kids, my brother-in-law told me that what he had taught his son about 
sex included two simple rules. One was no means no. Mm-hmm. And two was always wear a hat, <laughs> which <laughs> as you might guess is a reference yes. to a condom. Um, I loved those simple rules then, and I thought, well, I'll teach those to my son. But now what's changed is that when I teach my son no means no, I'm going to include some added examples um, of where basically I want, I want him to understand that anything but yes means no. <laughs> so I, I intend to teach him, listen, if a girl says something to you like, I'm not sure I want to do this, or let's wait, or um, something similar, then that's no, and you mm-hmm. stop. Um, you don't press, no matter the physical desires, um, and uh, you know. And I want to explain to him that those, you know, that that can accidentally overpower a woman's desire to consent. Um, and you know, topic for another day, Caitlin is. I, I, I am for that new addition to sex education on consent. Um, they're adding that, uh, or moving toward adding that to uh, to sex ed. The idea of consent and teaching about that. So I think, you know, something like that comes out of this this topic and, the, you know, the introduction of this topic to conversation. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think so, too. And I, uh, I really like those two rules. I think those are great. Um, I've noted those for my own <laughs> for my own purposes. Um, and I really like your addition to that, to giving those examples, because I think that's uh, and knowing your son and knowing my son, I think um for boys in general in particular, I think having some of those examples and hear the types of language that you might hear um, from a girl in a situation that you may interpret differently than she's intending you to interpret, I think that is a definitely an important conversation to have. So, I mean, look, I'm still not convinced that this whole verbiage that we're using around toxic masculinity is a good thing. But I definitely am in agreement with you that there are some good things to come out of it. Increased awareness, more discussion as parents with our with our kids around what the what what um, uh, what does consent mean, et cetera, et cetera. So I definitely think there are some good things that come out of it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Meaning, does it become? Does the pendulum stay too far swung to the left as we think about psychological guidelines and what therapists are talking to men about? Um, will that sustain, you know, based on these new guidelines or will that kind of come back and, mm. and right itself a little bit? Mm. And I don't mean that as a pun, like come back more to the center. <laughs> um, you know, time will tell on that. But I think that's really interesting. Right. Right. I agree. You know, Shelley, before we start to wrap up today's episode, um, a couple more ideas that I thought were really interesting as I was doing some prep on my side um, for our conversation today. And there was a New York Times article, let's see, this was dated January 17th, uh, 2019. The author of the article is Thomas Edsel. And the title is The Fight Over Men is Shaping Our Political Future. And it's talking about, you know, um, toxic masculinity and other issues. But what I thought was really interesting in this article, uh, the author of the New York Times piece quotes this gentleman named David Autor, uh, an economist at MIT. And I'll just read for you uh, what he says in this article. It says, the greatest adverse shock to the psychosocial welfare of U.S. men has not stemmed from dysfunctional notions of masculinity, nor from hashtag me too, 
but from deep secular labor market forces, both technological and trade-induced, that have nearly have over nearly four decades reduced the demand for skilled blue-collar work. And I found that really interesting because I hadn't really thought about how our changing job uh, environment and and kind of moving into more of of technology-driven jobs and roles and and perhaps more away from traditional blue-collar, manufacturing-oriented or uh, manual labor-oriented type of roles, how does that fit with this evolving sense of masculinity? And and is there is there a tie-in there, right? As we talk about toxic masculinity and, and perhaps at least some people kind of demonizing traditional masculinity, how does that align with these traditional, most often held by male uh, men type of roles where it's very physical labor, you have to be big and strong, you have to be very manly or whatever. And I thought that was a really interesting connection that I hadn't thought about. Yeah, I I totally agree with you, Caitlin. Um, you know, you and I saw that movie, A Star is Born, together, and, and I loved it. And the lyrics of that beautiful song that they sang together were, uh, tell me something, girl, are, are you happy in this modern world, or do you need more? Um, tell me something, boy, aren't you tired trying to fill that void, um, or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Uh, that song resonated with me because for decades, I think, you know, men have had to carry this burden of, quote, keeping it so hardcore. And um, I think it's been hard for them sometimes. And women in that movie, um, the character is a strong, hardworking woman working in restaurants with a difficult boss. And, um, you know, that song kind of acknowledges how difficult that is for her. As you know, Caitlin, I've sort of been the, the breadwinner um, for... Um, always in my life and at the same time prioritizing trying to be a good mom uh and over the years boy was has that been hard and so yes i think these modern forces our modern economy that that researcher that mit researcher um speaks about this modern economy where it's become harder and harder to support a family on just one salary really poses a challenge to relationships and families um, and, um, heck, I wonder if, um, the economy in part isn't to blame for such high divorce rates. Well, yeah. And even just continuing with this New York times piece and that MIT economist in particular, he goes on to say, and I'll quote, these forces have dramatically eroded the earning power, employment stability, social stature, and marriage market value of non-college men. The ensuing dysfunction touches not just in earnings and employment, but also male idleness, dysfunctional and destructive behavior, for example, drug and alcohol abuse, and the erosion of two-parent families. So I think you're right. I think there's something there around what is the impact of this evolving view of masculinity, this evolving view of what is the kind of quote-unquote correct way to be a man and to embody these masculine traits and which traits are good and beneficial, which traits are potentially harmful to themselves or to others. But what are the ripple effects, right? What are the effects on marriage and earnings potential? And, you know, there was another... um, Another political scientist quoted in this New York Times piece, John Hibbing from University of Nebraska, and he writes, what some men traditionally brought to the table is no longer required, so they must change. And I thought that was really poignant, right? Yeah, yeah. How much pressure there is. I mean, think about 
trying to be a man right now in this modern world mm-hmm. and what that pressure must be, right? To evolve with the times, to be cognizant. I mean, if you're a good guy, right. you're, you're cognizant, you're thoughtful of all of these right. things happening with Me Too and consent and, you know, questioning your masculinity and yet still trying to bring to the table some of the good traits of yeah. being a man. That, that's got to be tough. And there's a trend. There's more and more um, professional women are earning more than their um, husbands uh, and mates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's um, this is really hard. And that's, I think, very, um, I appreciate that, that article and, and that uh, economist kind of um, raising that deep, deep, um, troubling uh, aspect of the change in our economy. Well, and I I would add one more thing, you know, as a heterosexual woman married to a man, I've been married for 15 lovely years, (laughs) Um, and I love my husband dearly, Uh, and we have a traditional marriage, I would say, in a lot of ways, and as I mentioned in the introduction, Um, although I've worked for most of my life and most of my career and even most of my time as a wife and a mother, I recently stopped working full time and I'm doing some other things. And I am really grateful to my husband that he's able to provide for our family. And I I don't take that for granted. Um, but, but I will tell you, and this is maybe putting myself out there a little bit, as I say this, it feels a little uncomfortable, but I'm just going to say it. I, that's what I want out of a man. Like I want a man to be manly, quote unquote, in the traditional sense. I want the man to have the means to be a provider and to be strong and to be um, competitive, which in my mind translates to being, uh, having a lot of initiative to do well and to be successful. And and so I, I think as you've talked about over the course of our conversation today, those good traits, right? Kind of parsing out the good traits of masculinity from the bad, and this is no surprise, of course I want those good traits, but but me as a woman, and I would consider myself a modern professional woman who is independent and self-thinking and, and, and uh, you know, have my own hopes and dreams, but at the same time, I, I want that man to fill that traditional manly role in my marriage. I don't know. I, I don't, I guess I don't know if I should feel badly about that, but it's just how I feel. Right. No, I, I think I understand that. And I know that um, that yeah, I've heard the, the, the conservative, I've, I've heard conservatives say that, you know, do, um, do women really want to be with a less mas- mas- masculine man? You know, I, I don't think there's a credible suggestion by progressives that men should be less masculine. Uh, I don't think that, that you should feel guilty for what you, you just said. No, and, and no one is trying to make men less strong or less muscular, less tough, less chivalrous. Um, all of that is, is attractive. There's no, there's no movement to destroy masculinity in my view. Um, uh, but, but, but some of these issues that we talked about today in this, um, on this topic, I think reflect that it's not going to make men less attractive to be critical of a certain, you know, like I say, certain, um, certain negative aspects of masculinity. We talked about consent. We talked about, um, being able to cry. Um, there's nothing that, um, that makes men less attractive, um, when, when they, and we are, are critical of, of, you know, these issues. 
Yeah, I agree. And I would just on that note, I would go back to what I mentioned at the beginning of our episode, um, reading from this APA summary of their research that they just released uh, about the guidelines for practices with men and boys. Uh, You'll remember, dear listeners, that I said that the summary says show uh, the research shows that traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. And we've talked about that piece of it a lot. But the second piece of the sentence says, and that socializing boys to suppress their emotions causes damage that echoes both inwardly and outwardly. And and I didn't touch on it before, but I have to say the second part of that, I agree with, right? And I think your comment about encouraging and allowing boys to cry and not having them be called names or, or be called a sissy. I don't know. Do kids still use that word? I have no idea. But you know, when I was a kid, that was the word, right? Like you'd be called a sissy if you saw, if a, if a boy was crying, like that wasn't a very manly thing to do. I don't think that's right. And so the, the piece of this APA recommendation that I do like is again, the awareness and the, and the being thoughtful around encouraging boys to have just as many emotions, not that they don't have those emotions, but being allowing them to express those emotions just as we encourage and allow girls to do and making sure boys feel comfortable doing so. I think that's a really good thing. And again, as moms, um, something that I'm sure you and I try to encourage, and I know lots of other moms try to do, um, to make sure that they feel comfortable doing that. I think that's a really important part and a, and a good thing that has come out of this toxic masculinity discussion. Yeah, yeah I think we both agree on that. I think the the awareness, um, uh, for me, that's that's a that's kind of what toxic toxic masculinity just um, what the phrase does is it's it's to to bring awareness to these issues. And and I think we agree that the awareness is good. Any other thoughts on toxic masculinity as we wrap up? And by the way, dear listeners, I just have to tell you, hopefully at some point someone will actually listen to this podcast. Um, Shelly and I are currently sitting on the floor of her bedroom. We both have our laptops open. We've got a microphone in between us. Um, Our kids are in the other room. We have threatened them with death that they need to be quiet. And this is how it's happening. This is how the Red Mom, Blue Mom podcast is happening from very humble beginnings. That's right. As we sit on the carpet in Shelly's bedroom. So I'm just trying to paint a little picture for you as to what's happening here um, in the background. So, all right. Well, anything else before we wrap up on this topic? Thank you for listening. We're excited to, uh, we're excited for, for your next episode. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, more to come. Please don't forget to check us out at redmombluemom.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at redmombluemom. Um, and, uh, like we said at the beginning, we really want to try and, Uh, not only share and promote our episodes, of course, but we really want to share some of the resources and things that we've used to help prep for each episode. Um, One of the topics that you'll hear us talk about potentially in more than one podcast, but one topic that's interesting to Shelly and I um, is this concept of where do you consume your news and what kind of bias we might be receiving from that. And I think as Shelly and I continue to talk about this and other topics, um, it will become probably pretty evident. We'll, we'll start to see examples where if I'm hearing stories reported on 
Fox News or in the Wall Street Journal or whatever sources I prefer, and perhaps Shelley's hearing things on NPR or MSNBC or what have you, um, it's interesting to see what the differences are. So our goal as your hosts is to share where are we finding our information, where are we finding our data and our statistics to the extent that we start to share those in future podcasts. Um, And we hope, listeners, that you find that interesting and informative. Uh, We would love to hear feedback from you and have you share this um, with your friends and family if you're so inclined. We would love that. And note that on the references that we post that we've, you know, read in preparation for these podcasts, um, there are uh, articles from both sides, both sides of the aisle. There are um, there are center articles and there are articles going far right, far left. And uh, we think that that's important to, uh, you know, to 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 see the, the different sides. So check it's, it out. Yes, it's almost a re, we report, you decide kind of approach that's right. to, to, to hijack the, uh, the Fox News slogan, which I kind of said as a joke because I, <laughs> I know that that will irritate some people. So I don't I don't mean to do that. Um, but we want to share with you where we're getting our information. And again, hopefully you find that interesting. And um, thanks again. We really appreciate you joining us. We will be back next week with a new topic. Um, and please let us know what you think of the podcast again, redmombluemom.com and on Instagram at redmombluemom. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.